If you would, open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. In the Gospels, we have four Gospels. Only two of them include accounts of the birth of Jesus. And in Luke's account, we find songs. Um, For the most part, we don't find this at all in Matthew's account. Um, The songs may not be in the way that we are familiar with or something that we think of traditionally as songs, but they have come to be known as songs. And I thought we would look at three of them today. Mary's song in chapter 1, My soul doth magnify the Lord. This is from the King James. Zechariah's song, also in chapter 1, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And then Simeon's song in chapter 2, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. It is worth noting that Luke, in a sense, begins his gospel with songs, and it ends with singing, the last verse of his gospel. If you look at Mark, for example, Mark talks about the disciples being afraid. Matthew has a great commission. But Luke ends this way. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. In line with our study of the vocabulary of scripture, I thought we would today look at the words bless and blessed as they appear in these songs. And I had mentioned this to some of you, that in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, we find these words used as we have in the Psalms in the past few Sundays. Just to review a bit to get us up to speed, um, with regard to blessing, the most familiar use of the word is of God blessing. That is, God bestowing some kind of good or some benefit. And as we've seen, the context determines the character of what is, in fact, imparted. But, and I've tried to stress this every Sunday, the benefits conveyed are secondary. The primary factor in blessing is, in fact, the relationship and the statement of a relationship between the two parties, God who gives the blessing and those who receive it. The blessing makes known the fact that there is, in fact, a relationship, a positive relationship between the parties. And in many ways, the person receiving it becomes then aware of the nature of that relationship between that person and God. And I think we see it today uh, in our songs as well. I've mentioned several times that the word bless in its various forms occur more often in the Old Testament than they do in the New Testament. And the Old Testament is longer, I know that. But when I first discovered that, I was, I was really, really quite startled because I would think that the New Testament would be f- far more filled with bless and blessing than what we find in the Old Testament. We find it more in Genesis and Psalm than anywhere else in Scripture and more in Genesis than in Psalms. But that's okay, and that makes sense because in Genesis, we have the setting down, we have the laying out, the foundation of relationships of God with his creation, of God with human beings who are made in his image, with God and Noah in the covenant, God and Abraham, then Isaac and Jacob. We need to understand that God, in fact, gives blessings, he extends blessings or benefits on the basis of the relationship. And so Genesis tells us, here are the relationships. These are the relationships that God has with his creation and with those who are his people. The first song I want to look at today is Mary's song. It has come to be known as Mary's Magnificat because of the way it is written in Latin. Um, 
I think we all know the story, but to give you some background, uh, Mary is confronted by Gabriel, the archangel, who tells her that she will conceive a child. She doesn't see that this is possible because she has never been with a man. And he tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her. And then he tells her, your cousin, Elizabeth, who is much older than Mary, who had been thought to be barren, is now in her sixth month of pregnancy. So Mary hurries down to the hill country of Judea, and there she meets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth breaks out into another song, which we've not looked at today, we won't look at today, in which uh, she speaks so highly of the gift, the blessing that God has bestowed on Mary. And afterwards, Mary breaks out into song, if you wish, and this begins in Luke chapter two, um, Luke chapter one, in verse number forty-six. We'll read it in a few minutes. Um, I think what strikes me when I read Mary's Magnificat, and we read it every Christmas and oftentimes in between, is that in many ways this is an Old Testament song. Many people like to hear it as a New Testament song, as though when Gabriel told her that you're going to have a child and uh, you know, he's the son of the Most High, that Mary automatically knew everything that we know from the Gospels, that Jesus would grow up to be wise, that he would be a teacher, that he would heal people, he would raise people from the dead. And if that is what she knew, then I think that would have been seen in her song. But what we hear in her song, in fact, is quite Old Testament. There are those, in fact, who argue that the pattern of her song comes from a song in the Old Testament, uh, Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. The idea of breaking into song because God has blessed one, God has ex extended some benefit to some, is not new. We see it after Israel comes through the Red Sea. Moses breaks into song, the song of Moses, which, by the way, is mentioned in the book of Revelation, that in heaven they sing the song of Moses. Then we have the song of Deborah, the judge, after uh, she defeats her enemy, uh, Sisera. And then we have Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah was one of two wives to Elkanah. The other wife had children, Hannah could not. And she promised God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. She got pregnant and had a son, and she broke into song. There are strong parallels, but there is something, well, let me talk about the parallels first. First of all, they speak of the greatness of God. Secondly, they refer to themselves as God's hand, handmaiden, that is the Lord's servant. And they acknowledge that God would in fact accomplish his purposes through the son uh, that they're bearing, through Samuel and then through Jesus. But there is one significant difference, and that is that Hannah's song is more a song of victory, victory over her enemies, particularly this, the other wife, Penina, who made her life miserable. What we hear from Mary is a contemplation of God's mercy. We hear, I think, greater humility in Hannah, this, uh, in Mary, this is not to criticize Hannah at all, but we hear something quite different. In verses uh, 46 and 47, we have the introduction, if you want to look at it. And it is an appropriate beginning. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Immediately, two things should strike us. First of all, that the Lord is the focus of the song, not her. It's not look at me, I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. 
this is all about God and his mercy. And secondly, she speaks of God as her savior. The language, again, of, of the Old Testament of the book of Psalms. This, by the way, would indicate that Mary was like us, a sinner and in need of God's deliverance. Verses 48, 49, and 50, the reason for praising God, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Simply put, Mary here praises God for what he has done. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has blessed her. He has bestowed a benefit, a good on her. He has done great things for her. He has extended his mercy to those who fear him. And then Mary in the next verses shifts from her thankfulness to a contemplation of who God is himself. Verses 51 to 53. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their unmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Simply put, God has reversed the situation of many. He has gone contrary to many human values. The proud who lift themselves up are brought down, and those who are humble are lifted up. Those who are hungry are filled with good things. They are blessed, if you wish, and those who are rich are sent away hungry. I think these verses help us understand what Mary means when she refers to herself as blessed. Not I'm special, but I am blessed. I am one who was in need, and God extended grace and mercy. She is humble, has been lifted up, hungry, and filled with good things. I would remind you, we've seen in this series, who is called blessed in the Sermon on the Mount? The poor, those who mourn, the meek those who are persecuted. And so when Mary calls herself blessed, this, there's no chest thumping, if you wish, saying, I'm really, really special. This is, look at what God has done for me. And then in verses 54 and 55, the availability of God's mercy in every generation. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Even as one who is blessed, on whom God has shown great grace, Mary does not think only or primarily of herself, but of God's mercy that has been extended to his people. And so in a sense, being blessed doesn't make Mary special. She doesn't see it that way. Rather, it points out that God has shown her mercy as he will show his people. She belongs to the people of God. The second song is Zachariah's song. And you may know the story as well. Zachariah and Elizabeth uh, could not have children. And then he is confronted by Gabriel when he is in the temple serving and told that he will have a son. Because of his unbelief, Zachariah is not able to speak. He is not able to speak until John is born. And when it comes time to name the son, Elizabeth is told, we will call him John. And people are like, it was the custom to name after someone in your family. You don't have anyone named John. And she says, no, they asked Zachariah, what should we call him? And he writes down John. And then we are told immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. I would point out that in contrast to Mary's song, Zachariah blesses God 
And again, I would remind you that the benefits received are secondary, and the primary focus is the relationship. This is why, as we've seen, we can bless God. We cannot, in fact, convey any benefit to God. Okay? And yet, in Scripture, time and time again, and here with Zechariah, we read of people blessing God. Well, what, what can that possibly mean? Well, some translations have helped us out of our dilemma by translating the word bless as praise. It is something that we return to God. It is our response to what God has done for us. He has, in fact, blessed us, given us many benefits, and in turn, we praise him for what he has done. And we can do this not because we are powerful or because we are special, but because we are in relationship with God. We are his people. And he begins the process of blessing us, and then we, in, in response, praise him for what he has done. Verses 68 to 70, and here I'm reading more from the ESV than NIV, but you can follow along. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Zechariah begins his song with a common way that we find in the book of Psalms, in the various Psalms. He speaks of what God has done, and therefore he blesses God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. God has visited his people. He is redeeming his people. He is presenting a savior, a horn of salvation, and God is fulfilling his word that was spoken to the prophets. I do find it interesting. He will eventually get around to John in verses 76 and 77, but his first thought is to praise God for Mary's child, to bless God because God, in fact, is keeping his promises through the child that he's giving to Mary. Verses 71 to 75, the great deliverance, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Again, simply put, God keeps his promises. And then he speaks of his son, verses 76 and 77. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. I can't help but think that if I had been doing this, I would have started out with John. And I've actually been thinking, as I was preparing this, thinking of the various children we have here in our congregation, that if, in fact, I was asked to write a song about any of the children, I'd begin with the oldest one that we have, that's Lucy, and I would probably start out with something like, Lucy, oh Lucy, or Marcus is next, Marcus, oh Marcus, or Addie, oh Addie, or Gracie, oh Gracie. I would start with them. And if you do an outline of this, John is like the third point down of a four-point prayer or song. It's like the third verse. That's not where Zechariah begins. He begins by blessing God. He has received the benefit. No question, he has a son in his old age. But he begins by blessing God. 
he's pleased enough to mention his son, and we're glad that he does at this point. But he sees John in the context of God's mercies toward his people. John is not the center of things. John is to be seen in the context of God's great mercies extended to his people. And then the last two verses are of the messianic salvation. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God's salvation is portrayed in two ways, as light and as peace. Those who are in darkness, the light will shine. And we have seen often enough in our studies of scripture that peace means making things right, putting things as they ought to be. And this is what drives Zechariah's song. I'm struck by the fact that a man who, at least within Jewish culture, would desperately want a son, and for years and years did not have a son, and I think he and Elizabeth had assumed they could never have children, and then finally here is a son in their old age. And yet as he blesses God, as he praises God, his priorities are right. The third song is found in Luke chapter two, and this happens after Jesus is born. Um, it came time for purification according to the law of Moses. And so they brought Jesus up, Mary and Joseph brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At least three things are worth mentioning here. First of all, Mary and Joseph um, kept God's commandments. They did as was expected according to God's law. We live in a time when people think that they are so special that they are no longer bound by convention. And one would think, you know, if anyone could say, hey, I've done my part, I don't have to keep any more rules, it would be Mary and Joseph. And yet we find this righteous couple doing what God expects. The second thing I'm struck by is that they were poor. And the third is that they needed atonement. And this comes from Leviticus, where we are told when a woman goes for purification, if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. This couple cannot even afford a lamb. They do, if you wish, the least, but that's all they can afford. But they do keep God's commandments. Now the background to Simeon's story, if you're in Luke chapter two, actually begins in verse number 25 of Luke chapter two. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. You'll notice that his response is like that of Zechariah. He blesses God, he praises God, he thanks God for what he has seen. Uh, sovereign Lord, 
As you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. No wonder Simeon blesses God. This is in fact the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. In all of these songs, I'm struck by the fact that each one of them could in fact have focused on themselves. And certainly Mary says, from now on people will call me blessed. And and Zechariah is grateful for the son God has given him. But in each of these songs, the focus is on what God is doing for his people. And for Simeon, here he is in the temple, the center of Judaism, of Jewish worship. And he thinks, he gives thanks that God is in fact providing a light for the Gentiles. He remembers the promise that God made to Abraham. That isn't just for the Jews, but it's for all people on the earth. Having looked at these songs, I was immediately thought, or I immediately went back to the passage right before it, the story of the angels and the shepherds, what Zib read to us a few moments ago. Let me read it again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is what Simeon tells us. Today in the house of, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God. Why wouldn't they? Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. On this Christmas Sunday, we need to recognize that it is through Jesus that we are blessed. And because of Jesus, we in turn should bless God for his great gift. It isn't just a one-way street in which God has blessed us, and certainly he has. He has given us his son. But in response, we are to be thankful. We are to bless him. We are to praise him for the unspeakable gift of his son. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so familiar with this story, or imagine that we are, that we may have lost sight of some things, of the great blessing, the benefit you have bestowed, and not simply on Mary, or on Zachariah and Elizabeth, but on your people. That you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, into the world to save his people from their sins. We, in turn, should bless you. We should praise you and thank you. In a time when Perhaps it's not much different than other times in which we tend to think primarily of ourselves or the benefits we might receive. We want to be blessed. We so easily forget that we should respond in thanksgiving and in blessing. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son.
Again, we think of those that are traveling, that you would give them safety. For those that are sick, you would restore their health. For Ruth and her family, during this difficult time, you would comfort them. For this one that Mike mentioned, you would comfort his family as well. May your spirit and your, your grace go with us. May we be thankful for what you have done for us, for your great gift, the gift of your son. And it's through your son, the Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.